May. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know me, I have been coming to Central for about six years. I've been part of the team for the last couple of years. And one fun fact about me is that I recently took up tap dancing. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you for that cheer. I wasn't expecting that. So I haven't tap danced since I was about six years old. And let me tell you, muscle memory doesn't last that long. I'm, uh, I'm really bad. And I have only had three lessons. So please don't ask me to show you any moves because I really can't. Um, but I can say the word step ball change. So I think I'm doing OK. But I decided to do this because I really, well, I love dancing. I'm not very good at it, but I love it. And I also love that feeling of having lessons and getting to choose to learn something, uh, how to do it better, something that you've been really wanting to do, and to grow, to see yourself improving in something. I don't know if any of you have taken up music lessons at some point, but it's really amazing to feel yourself getting better at something. Well, that's the hope, at least, anyway. But I think we have constant opportunities to learn and to grow don't we? we we're not uh, for want of opportunities, but the real challenge, the real thing that we face is, are we going to take anything from that? Are we going to pay attention to those times and choose to learn and choose to grow? So my question to you is, how do you want to grow? What are the things that you want to grow in? And maybe you haven't actually really thought about that question in a long time. Obviously, when you're a kid, you always think about the things that you're going to want to grow up and be. And maybe when you uh, go to university or get your first job, you think about what it is that you want to do. But how do you want to grow? I have a cousin who, when she was a child, she wanted to grow up and be a postbox. So um, she now has a doctorate, which is very disappointing because I would like a postbox for a cousin. Um, but this is a question that we don't get asked so often these days. How do you want to grow? So today we're looking at Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, which opens up to us the second half of Ephesians. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been going through this book together. And as we've been working through Ephesians 1 to 3, we have focused on who we are as people, as the church, We've explored how we're chosen, how we are one, how we're made alive by Jesus, and we've reflected on God, knowing him, the mystery of him. And last week, we looked at that incredible prayer that we would know God's love, that we would grow in our capacity to love. But from today onwards, we shift gears a little, and Paul, the author of this book, begins to walk through some of this stuff in terms of its practical implications. And so the first outworking we read of this uh, today is this call to walk in unity. And a few weeks ago, we looked at something similar. We looked at this idea of being one through peace and reconciliation when Paul was talking about there being no longer Jews and Gentiles, but one new identity, one new humanity through Jesus. And this passage builds upon that, but whereas that message looked primarily at old identities, bringing us to where we are now, this, this passage looks forward to how we can grow and mature in 
maturity for holy unity. This passage is a beautiful invitation to the church to mature together in love and in Jesus. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to read out these verses and I think they will come up on the screen behind me as well. Jesus, we thank you for how much you've been present with us this morning. The Holy Spirit, where you are just dropping a drop of water into people's lives, would you just begin to increase that, God? Would we open ourselves up to hear what you have to say? Amen. So this is Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's quite a long passage. Let me just read that first verse again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So as we've been saying the past couple of weeks, Paul was imprisoned for going around and telling people that Jesus is Lord. And now, personally, I wouldn't blame Paul if at one point in prison, while he was in a dark, horrible, horrible place, he reflected back on his life before his calling to follow Jesus and thought, do you know what? I was respected back then. I had a good social status. I probably had a nicer bed to sleep in than this. What am I doing? 
But Paul clearly doesn't think that. This is a man who speaks with such deep conviction of what it means to live a life worthy of that call to follow Jesus. And this kind of conviction can only come from a place of experiencing the life-changing reality of a relationship with Jesus. Because a lukewarm warm faith won't sustain you. This is why Paul starts Ephesians by emphasizing that God chose us. God loves us. Because knowing who we are comes from knowing who God is and knowing that we are his children. And Paul surely knew this to be true with every fiber of his being. He knew who he was in Jesus. And we must remember who we are too. Theologian Tom Wright suggests that the way Paul writes, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, reads like a list that new believers could memorize. And so the original readers of this letter may well have been reading a motto that they'd already heard quite a lot of times, that they already knew quite well. And for those of us who have been coming to Central for a while, you may feel like you have heard our core values of loving Edinburgh, being family, following Jesus, like a gazillion times by now. But hopefully when you hear that, when you hear those words, you feel part of that identity more so than if you heard a different organization's values that you weren't a part of. Because we are already united in our vision. And it's out of this place that we respond. This is why we want to be constantly asking ourselves, what does it look like for my community to be loving our part of Edinburgh in this season, or for our church to be family, or for us to pursue following Jesus? And we're not doing this because our identity is conditional on how we act, but simply as the natural response to his love, but simply because we believe that we will have access to a greater joy and a greater peace than we could find anywhere else. These questions are a framework for us to grow together. What does this response look like in your life? Paul names particular values that we can choose to embody as part of our response to this call. Do you choose humility, thinking of yourself less, putting others first? Do you choose gentleness, not being harsh or dominating, but allowing the quietest voice in the room to speak? Do you choose patience, recognizing that everybody has different strengths and weaknesses, choosing to bear with one another in love? The truth is, that's so hard for us to do all of the time. I remember a few years ago, this is a full honest confession, I was having a little bit of an argument with a friend and they were saying, but you're being so overly defensive right now. And I went, no, I'm not which is exactly what being overly defensive looks like, so I was proving that point. But it's not really in our nature to be in complete unity with others. We don't like it, we don't find it comfortable, it's not very appealing to us. 
but it's exactly what Jesus did on the cross, dying to his own selfish gain. And this is why Paul begins to talk about grace. God knows we can't live a worthy life in our own capabilities. And so he allocates each of us the forgiveness we're going to need in advance and the gifts that we're going to need to enable us to increase together in maturity and in unity. And he does this through Jesus. There is a deep understanding of the person and the role of Jesus at the heart of this passage. What we might initially read as a bit of a confusing um, or opaque reference to the Old Testament in the middle of this passage is actually vitally important. It's a reminder of the central truth of what happened to make this grace possible. Paul is showing us that these verses from the Psalms, written many years, so many years before Jesus, his time on earth, were prophetically referring to him, speaking into this context. So let's look at it a little bit. He begins with this opening statement from Psalm 68, 18. When he ascended on high referring to Jesus's ascension, that time after the resurrection and after he'd shown himself to the disciples and returned to heaven with that promise that the Holy Spirit would come. But for first um, first century Jewish Christians listening to this message, they also would have thought of Moses who went up, ascended Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. And there's a deliberate connection being made there. Moses was the liberator of his people. Jesus is the liberator of us all. For the things that keep you weighed down, the anger, the sadness, the fear, Jesus went onto the cross to defeat it and ascended on high so that we could have a life of freedom and grace. And then we have the line, he took many captives. This verse can also be translated as he made captivity itself a captive. He made captivity itself a captive. Jesus defeated sin. Nothing that is against God can ever ultimately be more powerful than God. And nothing has the power to make unity impossible. Sin cannot be more powerful because Jesus has taken captivity itself captive. But I also think Paul's writing this as a prisoner for God because God first captivated his heart. There's a double meaning there. Jesus has defeated the enemy, but has he also captivated our hearts? And then this really interesting third line, last of all, he gave gifts to his people. So for any of you who have ever actually gone to look up Psalm 68, this should be the point where you're going, "Mm, hold on a second. Did Paul just make a mistake? Did he just get it wrong? Because actually what it reads in Psalm 68 verse 18 is he received gifts from people, not he gave gifts to people. And it's not a mistake. 
And actually, the purpose of the word change has been well debated by scholars in much more intellectual ways than I can understand. But what I do know is that it's very likely that there is a deliberate reversal here. There is a deliberate emphasis that is linked to what Paul goes on to say about God descending. And that this emphasis revolves around the pivotal shift of Pentecost. God descending, the moment that God's Holy Spirit comes upon all followers, which happened after his ascension. Because we read in verse 10 of this passage of Jesus filling the whole universe, and we can understand this to be through his spirit, which is in every single one of us, enabling us to receive these gifts, which will help us grow together in love. Paul writes these verses in order to spark our minds as a reminder for all that Jesus has done for us. Because if this is at the forefront of our minds, if this is what we're going after, then things like maturity and unity are the natural overflow of that. And we can't begin to talk about the gifts that he has given us without first centering ourselves on how that has been made possible and what it's for. So it's with all of this in mind that he then goes on to name the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers as five essential giftings needed in the church. And some of us might be really familiar with this list because we do believe that this is a really important concept to grasp for equipping the flourishing of the church. So you might have heard this list being referred to in the past as a fivefold ministry or APEST, which just, which just stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, which is just another word for pastor and teacher because I think apept wouldn't sound so good, so there you go. Others of us might not have heard that before, and that's okay. We might not have engaged with it that much. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to overly hype up one verse, but I do think there have been some incredible books and incredible movements that have taken really seriously this teaching and embraced it as a way of strengthening and equipping the church. At the heart of it, is a recognition that God gives each of us different gifts, different areas where we more naturally reflect his character. And so there's a desire to have this diversity reflected and represented in the church. Alan Hirsch, who wrote a book called The Forgotten Ways and championed this renewed understanding of APEST, wrote, I am absolutely convinced that there has never been a genuine missional movement, the kind that has experienced both exponential growth as well as transformational impact across a wide domain that does not have a pest ministry. Let me say this even more categorically. Without at least fivefold forms of ministry and leadership, genuine missional movement will not happen. We need the apostle who is the visionary, to pioneer the new thing. The prophet with their conviction and discernment to guide that new thing. 
the evangelist to go out and then bring the people to that new thing, the shepherd or the pastor to maintain it and sustain it, and the teacher to lead it into maturity. And you might already know where your gifts lie. You might already know that you're a shepherd, for example, someone who is sensitive to the needs of others, who wants to care and create safe spaces and journey with people over time. I know, for example, that I'm kind of a bit of a combination of two. I love doing this. I love teaching. <laughs> Whether you're sitting there and going, she's not that gifted, that's fine. Um, and I also love going out and telling people about everything I love, which happens to include Jesus. So I'm a bit of an evangelist. But if you don't know, why not take some time in your community or do some further reading to engage with this more? Not for the sake of having another label, but because knowing the gifts that you have and the gifts that God has given those around you will build up and strengthen the church. This is how we will continue to grow, by investing our gifts in others and drawing it out in them, receiving things from them. And this is how we can know Christ through practice and through community. Towards the end of this passage, Paul presents this picture of um, us as a church, like the ship that is not being tossed around back and forth in waves, that is steady which evokes in my mind at least that famous story of Jesus calming the storm in the Gospels. This moment where Jesus and his disciples are out on the boat and there's a crazy storm happening, but Jesus is somehow totally asleep. The disciples are freaking out. They go wake him up. He goes and speaks to the storm and it immediately stills. And the disciples are in awe. We read through this story this week in Rooted, actually, and in our staff time of devotions, we felt like that was an important reminder for us to be alert to the things that Jesus is alert to and to be at peace to the things he is at peace to. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're choosing to be united by him by his leading, by what he's doing, what he is inviting us into. And this passage encourages us that this is a lifelong journey. Paul describes the church like one body, with every part working together in love, with each member doing their bit, playing their role. There's no promise of retirement from this job. So what new season of growth might he be bringing you into now? How are you playing your part? What gifts are you investing into the body? How are you serving and receiving? Because what an amazing promise we have on offer. The message translation phrases it like this. So I'll just say this as we come to close. God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. 
So let's choose to live a life worthy of God's calling. Let's choose to allow God to work in us to become like Christ in everything, robust in love. So in just a moment, Andy is going to lead us into communion and the band are going to come up as we remember that his very breath and blood flow through us. And we've just been thinking about how we can grow in unity and communion is something that we do together to remember Jesus together. So let's have that as our response now. And I'm just going to pray as they come up. Yeah, God, we thank you. We thank you that you have so much on offer to us, that we don't need to settle for anything less than growing into a complete fullness and robustness of love in you. Yeah, God, would you come and be continuing to speak to us now. Amen.